This is the Fearless Presentations Podcast, the fastest, easiest way to reduce public speaking fear. Want to absolutely eliminate public speaking fear? This podcast is the answer. Here's the guy who literally wrote the book on Fearless Presentations, Doug Stannard. Hello and welcome to the Fearless Presentations podcast brought to you by the Leaders Institute and FearlessPresentations.com. I'm your host, Doug Stannard, president of the Leaders Institute, and this is the podcast that helps people just like you get rid of that public speaking fear and increase your success by increasing your confidence when you communicate. By the way, we offer three five-minute videos on fearlesspresentations.com that will help you analyze your strengths as a speaker, identify where your nervousness is coming from and how to conquer it, and also give you the pros and cons of different types of presentation skill development programs. Each of the videos are less than five minutes long, and they are absolutely free to all of our podcast listeners. So just go to fearlesspresentations.com, and on the on the homepage, you'll see a big YouTube screen. Just register with the site, and you'll get access to all three videos. In addition, hey, we'd love to hear from you. Many of our topics, the the topics that we cover on the podcast really come from questions that we get on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. And at the bottom of every page of the fearlesspresentations.com website are icons to the various social media platforms. But just as a recap, uh, Facebook is facebook.com slash fearlesspresentations. Our Twitter handle is a little shorter. It's at fpclass. For fearless presentations class at FP class. And if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you can do that at LinkedIn.com slash in slash Doug Stannard. That's D-O-U-G-S-T-A-N-E-A-R-T. And we respond to all questions and comments on each of these platforms. So reach out to us as often as you like. In addition, if you like the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and Facebook, Google, or even Yelp, or all four of them. If you don't like the podcast, just message us on Twitter with your with your comments and in you know all of those comments help us create a much better program for everyone. So in this week's podcast, I'm going to show you how how a mathematical discovery that made Pixar, you know, the great movie company, made them billions of dollars, can actually help you create some phenomenal presentations. Uh, and if you stick around toward the end of the podcast, I'm going to share with you a public speaking secret that will help you develop unlimited content for your presentation and also use that tip from Pixar to make your presentations very, very practical for your audience members. In addition to that, we also have a tech find that I discovered from Dr. Phil, and it's going to help you add some down-home humor to any presentation. So let's start with this week's tech find. So the tech find this week is a way to use Google to add some humor pretty much to any presentation. When I first started speaking and writing, I was always looking for ways to add some humor to my presentation, look for ways to kind of jazz it up, make it funny. And, you know, I tried to tell jokes. I'm just not good at it, you know. And and actually, I've, I've noticed that I'm pretty good at telling stories. So a lot of times I'll just kind of, when I want to insert humor into my presentations, I'll just add some self-deprecating story about something that I did where I screwed something up. And th- those are actually kind of fun. Um, but uh, a few years back, you know, back when I was first starting to speak and when I first started, um, uh, you know, writing. Writing and writing books, that kind of thing. I was uh, I was watching a um, an, an Oprah Winfrey show, and Dr. Phil was on. And this was back before you know Dr. Phil actually had his own TV show and that kind of thing. 
But um, what I notice about what Dr. Phil did that, that kind of made the audience really into him was that he used a, a lot of like folksy sayings. And, you know, since he's from Texas, I was thinking, you know what, maybe I should add in some of these, you know, Texas style kind of sayings. And, but I didn't know, you know, where to find them. So I went out and bought a book on Texas sayings and and tried to insert some of those, and some of them worked, you know. And and um, but what I found though was that in today's world, you can actually do it a whole lot easier. Basically, all you really have to do is uh, go to Google and just type in wherever you're from, the the either city, state, region, whatever it is, and then just write the word idiom after it, I D I O M idiom, and then hit uh, hit enter, and Google will pull up a lot of different options for you that will have different different um you know down home kind of folksy sayings that kind of thing and basically i i try to you know put at least a new one of these or one or two of these into each one of the presentations that i do because they're just fun they're funny you know especially when folks find out i'm from texas and they kind of hear my texas crawl you know sometimes especially when i get rolling in in a presentation sometimes when i kind of throw some of these things in um the good news you know since since Google is so easy and everybody's got access to it. I mean, you can basically have, find these things at will. And you can actually tailor your presentation sometimes to the, the group that you're speaking to. So even if you're not from the region, sometimes you can kind of insert some of these in. And you know, obviously, you're not going to insert these in as something that you would say on a day-to-day basis. But you can you can kind of poke fun at them a little bit, poke, poke fun at the people in the audience by by saying, "Hey, I've heard some different terminology since I've been here." You know, so you can kind of insert some of those things that they're going to laugh at. So just by looking up Texas idiom, I came up with I don't know. I mean, it's real easy with Texas because you know Texans kind of talk funny. You know, so so we have lots of of idioms, but there were a few that kind of popped up right off in the at the very top of the list you know if you like for instance one of them is if you cut your own firewood it'll warm you twice right so it's a you know down home and folksy right um so if you're making fun of somebody who's boastful you know you can say man that guy can strut sitting down you know um if somebody's a real go-getter man she'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water and then, uh, and uh, you know, another one was kind of funny is, and that person's so busy or busier than a than a stump tail bull in fly season, you know. So you know, some of these are going to be easier to to kind of insert into your presentation than others. But you know, there a lot of times you can find some of these things that are just kind of funny if you if you insert them at the right right spot. Now, just so you know, you don't insert these things in just to insert them in. In fact, you don't need to put like 15 of these things into a presentation. Usually one will do. Uh, and it kind of really one is, is all that you really need because it kind of sets a flavor and a different flavor for the presentation and gets people to kind of laugh right early on in your, in your presentation. But I just wanted to kind of play around with this just to see how good Google was at finding these things. So I just kind of picked some some states or, or locations at random. Um, you know, obviously some are going to give you more than others. Like for instance, if you do, if you put in like New York idiom or California idiom, you're going to get like if you do California, you get a lot of Valley Girl sayings and stuff like that. If you do New York idiom, you're going to get New York sayings. You know, things like in a New York minute stuff like that. So they're not going to be as a lot of times with those types of searches, you're not going to get things that are funny. But what I put in was I put in um, Alaska. 
Alaskan idioms. And I got things like, you know, you're in Alaska when your snowblower gets stuck on the roof. <laughs> and these are kind of like uh, Jeff Foxworthy type things, I guess, when you get right down to it. You know, you're in Alaska when you know the ba- when you know that bear insurance is being with someone that you know you can outrun. <laughs> so you know you're in Alaska when you got more miles on your snowblower than you do in your car. You know, so that some of these are going to pretty be pretty funny, uh, and some of them you know you'll have to kind of play around with. Uh, for another quick one, I just just to just to kind of show you that you can do this for regions as well. As I put in uh, Midwest idioms, and I got. You know, that makes as much sense as government cheese. And you're as slow as molasses in January. Um, he's he, he got a hollow tail. So which I have no idea what that means. But I guess if you're in if you're in the Midwest, I guess that's a, that might be a pretty funny thing to say. And that that might be one of those where you kind of say, what the heck is a hollow tail? I heard somebody say this when, when I was in Starbucks the other day. Man, that guy's got a hollow tail. Anybody know what the heck that means? And and uh, kind of make it as an open ended question to see if anybody laughs. Now, obviously, it's a good idea to test stuff like this out in front in front of a practice group than in front of a. I mean, obviously, you don't want to try this for the first time in a big keynote speech or anything like that. But if you happen to be in a group of three, four, five people or so, you can kind of throw some of these out and see if they laugh. And if if at least a few of them laugh, you're probably on on a solid foundation to kind of use these in a real speech. So use Google as a way to add humor into your presentation by putting your region plus the word idiom and come up with some funny sayings that you can insert in your presentation. So today's hot topic is how if you design a great presentation, it will have what I'm like I'm calling now a fractal structure, and um, I, I'll give you the background for this. I, I'm I'm kind of a I don't know. I, I guess I nerded out over the weekend, and, and I started watching this uh, documentary on Netflix that was about mathematics, and uh, it doesn't really matter what the what the um, the documentary was, uh, but the, the neat thing about it was that there was one specific segment on this on this uh, documentary where they talked about fractal mathematics, which I'd never heard of. Apparently, this is something that a mathematician came up with in, I guess, the late 60s, maybe the mid-70s, that kind of thing. And the and basically what this mathematician kind of figured out was that nature has these things that he kind of calls fractals. Fractals, and I, man, it's kind of hard to to explain what these were. In fact, I had to I had to go back and do a little bit of research to find out exactly what these what these things are. But but basically, what a what what fractal mathematics is is it's it's a um, so while I was watching this documentary, the more that the host explained about this division of math called fractal mathematics, the more I started seeing how the three-point talk, the four-point talk, the five-point talk that we've talked about on a number of occasions on a number of different podcasts really makes sense and why it works. It's basically basically natural. It's one of those things that happens in nature pretty 
pretty consistently. Now, without going into a boring explanation of what fractals are, um, these they, what they are they are it, the explanation for these things are they are infinitely complex patterns that have a similar structure across scales. Meaning that, and the first time I heard that definition, I'm going, what? What the heck did he say? And I had to actually rewind it a couple of times. But basically, it's where if you've got a complex structure that if you're looking at it from a distance, it looks pretty similar to what that same structure would look like if you were looking way, way up close. And um, and, and like I said, nature has very natural fractal patterns in it. Like a good example of this is is a mountain range, right? If you're looking at a at a mountain range from, you know, from I don't know, maybe ten miles away, or from one mile away, or from sixty feet away, it kind of looks the same. You know, the 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 way that the structure kind of kind of looks, you can't really tell how far away you are from that. And in fact. You can probably go out into into your yard or into a, a a garden of some type, find a stone, and if you put your iPhone up really close to it and take a snapshot of it, it'll be kind of hard to determine whether or not that's a a stone that's six inches tall or a foot tall or a thousand feet tall, right? Because they're they all kind of look the same. And that's really what the what this area of mathematics was was designed to kind of explain is these natural Fragments, these natural um, fractions that are that are kind of created, these patterns that are created. Well, the more that I saw this documentary kind of explain how these things occur naturally in real life, the more I started to realize that man, that is just like what we're teaching in our public speaking classes. It's the way that if you have this in mind when you're designing your presentation. It helps you design a more structured presentation. It helps you make the presentation more beneficial to your audience. Um, the, a, a good example that I saw on on a YouTube video was how um, if you're looking at a, a triangle, right, and and a triangle basically with equal sides, and if you take a a a pencil. And you put a dot in the center of each one of those those sides of the triangle. So you go to the very center of the uh, the side that's on the left and put a dot. And you go to the very center of the line that's on the right and you put a dot. And you go to the very center of the base of the triangle and put a dot. And then you connect those three dots together. You're going to create a triangle inside of a triangle. And basically what you're going to end up with is you're going to end up with four separate triangles now that are all the exact same shape. Are very similar in shape anyway. And then you can do the same thing again with each one of those individual new triangles that you've created. So so basically, you know, whether you're, you know, if you if you kind of do this on an infinite basis, the the further you go down into the structure with a with a camera, the more it's going to look exactly the same. So you won't really know what part of the structure that you're looking at. And it's fascinating because what uh, one of the examples that the the uh, narrator said on the on the um, the documentary was a guy named Lauren Carpenter, and he was actually one of the co-founders of Pixar. And back in 1980, he had a huge breakthrough. He had been working for Boeing for for quite a few years, and one of the things that Boeing wanted was they you know obviously when they're showing their plane they want to show their plane in a very regal kind of state and so on their marketing pieces they want to wanted to have mountains behind the the plane so you, basically i mean it's it's a a pretty good 
thought process because they wanted to, to show how the Boeing plane was, you know, bigger than a mountain, that kind of thing. So you see the mountains in the background. And what they were doing up until, you know, basically the late 70s, uh, really the early 80s, was they would have the, those mountains would after either well, they would either have to be photographed or they'd have to be hand drawn, uh, and if it happened to be a a, um, a poster that they were making of a plane that hadn't been developed yet, it was very difficult to get a uh, a mountain in the background. So basically, what what um, Mr. Carpenter wanted to do, Dr. Carpenter, what he wanted to do was kind of create a digital version of a mountain, and so he thought that would be a, a, a I guess he probably thought it was going to be a fairly easy thing to do with with as advanced as computers were starting to become. But the more that he tried to create it, the more the shapes just didn't look right. They were kind of boxy. You know, if you remember, you know, for those of you who are old enough, back the the early video games in the in the you know the Ataris and everything back in the eighties, you know, the a lot of the the um, the pictures, the images on the computers were very pixelated, and that's really what the mountains were looking like as well. Well, at the at the time, Mr. Carpenter, Dr. Carpenter had um, had been reading a book about fractal mathematics, and he thought, man, maybe I could use this same concept on the on the um, uh, the the digital rendering of a mountain range and create it. And he said, within just a few minutes of inputting the the content or the code for the for the mountain range he created this pristine beautiful mountain range that he uses as a background so it was a much faster way it would have taken an artist hours if not days weeks months maybe to create that mountain range by hand but it, the computer was able to do it in just a few minutes and he he gave a, a speech in 1980 about this and kind of showed this two minute video of of how he built this this concept and that's really the foundation for the movie company Pixar so all of those early Pixar movies, you know, when 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 we went and saw, you know, Toy Story and some of those some of those um, really fantastic animated movies, one of the things that was very different about them was that the cartoons, even though we, you can tell they're cartoons because of the colors and everything, the images, the shapes, they look real. It was like you're looking in 3D almost at at, at some of these cartoon images, and that was all created by this this fractal examination is fractal um, rendering of, of the content that was there. So, um, by the way, if you're if you're interested in, in this kind of stuff at all, we put a video of of, of Dr. Carpenter actually creating the um, the one of these mountain ranges. And I think this I think the video that we put on our on our show notes on fearlesspresentations.com, I think it was one of the renderings that he made. Uh, in I think it was uh, Star Trek: The Wrath of Khan back in it was probably in 1980, 81, 82, somewhere around there anyway. But he created this entire planet using this content, this this uh, this digital um, rendering anyway, and uh, and so it kind of shows how he did that. So it's really it's a really fascinating thing. But the neat thing about this whole concept is that not just that. It can create really cool images, and it's very natural and makes things look real. It's the same technique that you can use in a great presentation. So if you think back to 
the the uh, the technique that we taught back in podcast number three, the how to design a great presentation. We told you about the three-point talk, the four-point talk, the five-point talk. Basically, what you want to do is you want to create a presentation that has a few key concepts and cover those key concepts really well. That typically works a whole lot better than covering dozens or hundreds of different bullet points or, or different pieces of content and just covering them, covering them on a cursory fashion, cursory basis. So covering a few key bullet points in an exceptional way typically makes you a better presenter. Well, once you have that, that original presentation, you can actually then take each one of those individual concepts, each one of those individual bullet points, if you will, and turn those into an entirely new presentation. So you're creating a new fractal that's very similar to the original presentation, but just on a deeper level. It's just a, a smaller level. So bullet point number one has uh, is, is an entirely new presentation. And then when you have in that entirely new presentation, you've got three, four, five bullet points as well. You take that one of those bullet points from that presentation and create an entirely new presentation. And every time you go down a level, you're adding a more practical piece of content or, or, or practical data to your presentation. But the neat thing is, is that everything flows back up to the original thesis, to the original concept that you are trying to get across. And it works really, really well. It's one of those things that, that if you design your presentation very effectively, you can using this concept, you can do it in a very effective way anyway. So let's do an example just to kind of show you how you can take this, this mathematical concept and use it as a way to create a, a, a great presentation. So let's just, let's say you're going to make a presentation on world history, right? So world history, which is, you know, you're talking about thousands and thousands of years that you're trying to jam into a one-hour presentation. So if you are going to do that, you could, by the way, you could, you could um, take the concept of world history and give a quick overview and do that in 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour, something like that. But the content's not going to be very practical. It's not going to, it's it's gonna be like somebody could take the 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 nuts and bolts of the things that you're covering in that short presentation and be able to understand exactly what happened throughout history. However, if you take that that original thesis, which is world history, the original topic, and then break it down into just a few component parts. Like for instance, your first component might be the pre-written history era. So so the the era the the era that occurred before we had written documentation of what was going on. And then maybe the second part might be um, the, the, um, the, the BC era. And then the third part might be the early AD era. And then the fourth part might be you know post-industrial revolution era. So basically, you, you've broken down all of human history into four component parts. Now, if you gave an hour-long speech on the uh, that way, like I said, you know, it's it's probably not going to be very practical. But you can take any one of those those bullets or each one of those those eras, and expand on it in the same way, in the same fashion, and now you've got a little bit more practical presentation. So, like for instance, if we took the the BC era, that 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 second bullet that we were talking about, and divided that one into sections, we could say that you know section one might be Egypt, and then section two might be Babylon, and then section three might be Assyria, and section four might be Greece, and then section five might be Rome. You know, because those are the those are the five major world dominant domineer. You know the the Organ, the the countries that that kind of dominated the world in in the uh, the the BC time period anyway, 
And then you can take each one of those and turn it into its own presentation as well. So every time you go down a level, again, we're making this a little bit more practical. So like for instance, let's just say we take Rome, for instance, and we divide that one up. Now, we could divide Rome up into the Republic era, you know, the, the time before the before Julius Caesar took over. So when, when uh, Rome was a republic, we might cover another section on maybe the Hannibal invasion, since that was a big part of what led to Julius Caesar and the and the and the Caesars, the kings, the emperors. And then part three might be about Julius Caesar, part four might be about Augustus, you know, part five might be about Constantine. You know, I know we're we're leaving some big chunks in there, Nero and some of the others. But, you know, basically, if, you, if you've got a limited amount of time that you can cover, you have to kind of pick and choose what's going to be most important to the audience at, at this particular time. And then you can go to each one of those and create an entirely new presentation out of it. So you can do an entire presentation just on Augustus or just on Julius Caesar. And again, every time you go down and break that topic into smaller components, you're now, you're now going to be providing more practical information about that topic to your audience. So I would encourage you to kind of use this as, as a guideline when you're designing your presentation. So create your presentations around your, your overall theme, create your three, four, five bullet points, and then break each one of those three, four, five bullet points down into sections that create almost brand new presentations within a presentation. And what's going to happen is you'll have a very well laid out presentation for your audience that's going to be easy for you to remember. It's going to be easier for you to deliver, and it's going to be easier for your audience to really digest and figure out what you want them to, to take away from that. So um, so hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Make sure and leave us a review on iTunes or if you haven't yet done so, I mean, go on to our Facebook page or our or connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, send us a, some comments every now and then. Just kind of tell us what you think about the podcast or if you have questions about presentations that you have or something like that. Heck, use this as a resource. We do respond to all of those. So thanks a lot for being a part of the Fearless Presentations podcast. to this podcast for new public speaking secrets each week.